Welcome to Manage Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Allison Encero, and I am the senior editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. On a Managed Carecast episode in the fall of 2018, AGMC talked with Molly Coy, MD, executive in residence of Avia, about the launch of the Medicaid Transformation Project by Avia Health Innovation and former CMS Acting Administrator Andy Slavitt. The Medicaid Transformation Project joined 17 health systems in an effort to improve care for those enrolled in Medicaid, including behavioral health and avoidable emergency department visits. Now we're almost halfway through 2019, and the number of partner healthcare systems is up to 28, all driven by a desire to meet the needs of underserved communities. Today we're speaking with David Smith, the project director of the Medicaid Transformation Project, for an update on what the initiative has achieved in its first few months. David, thank you for joining us today on Manage Carecast. Allison, thanks for having me. So I thought I'd start out just by recapping a few quick Medicaid facts for our listeners. Things like the fact that one in five Americans is covered by Medicaid, half of all U.S. births are financed by Medicaid, and Medicaid is the country's number one payer for behavioral health services. About 35% of adults with a serious mental illness are not receiving mental health treatment, and spending on Medicaid beneficiaries with mental health needs is nearly four times greater than the general population. Can you talk about some of the most recent work in this area? Yeah, delighted to. Thank you. And thanks for having us back to spend a little time sharing some key developments and updates on this. And I know the conversation you all had with uh, Dr. Molly Coy and Andy Slavitt, they they were particularly grateful for, and uh, we were appreciative of the chance to emphasize some of the work we're doing with our health system partners. Your your listeners, and, and you may recall that this project is primarily organized around what we call challenge areas that really were were elevated by our health system partners as key areas of uh, representing clinical distress or economic distress or or financial challenges and hardships, and that really required a a different and innovative approach uh, in addressing these challenges at the community level and with a a new type of new set of partnerships and and collaborations. And those areas, the four challenge areas uh, that are addressed sequentially are the emergency departments, um, behavioral health, mental health and wellness, uh, moms and infants, and then substance use uh, disorders. And we, I I think we are uh, making some strong progress on that secondary. We've we've begun to sunset some of the work around the ED, and we can talk a bit about that if it's interesting. But we are just now on the heels of having organized a a two-day action forum in Dallas, Texas, that brought together uh, about 28 of the participating health systems and their behavioral health leaders from throughout their enterprises, all in search of unique solutions that could address some of the the opportunities that were were of highest strategic or community interest to these entities. And the way in which we we structure these challenge areas is we we begin first by identifying what those opportunities are. And we try to put that definition in a box as, as like what opportunities are actionable, not necessarily 
you know, let's go march the hill and um, advocate for a different approach to 42 CFR Part 2. It's not really so much thinking about state-by-state -state variation and how Medicaid pays for mental health services, but, but it's taking the world as it is and saying, okay, are there things we could be doing better in the community to address this tremendous mental health treatment gap that you identified at the front end? So in the course of preparing for this action forum, we identified uh, what we felt our what, what our provider, what our, our system partners said were, were the opportunities that fit in that frame. And the key areas, uh, obviously, are we, we have insufficient access points for patients. So if a patient presents at an ED or another setting, we, we oftentimes just send them into the ether, discharge them into the ether. Or we don't have a sufficient workforce. The second area is how do we extend that workforce? Or, or the third is that we are completely disintegrated in data uh, or clinical teams or, or other areas that were they integrated, we could provide more holistic care that would um, that would be preventative or, or at least more responsive to the chronicity of the underlying mental illness in the first place. And the fourth is how do we better link all of that to you know, improve care models and uh, community resources. And those were the four opportunity areas that systems wanted to convene in Dallas to explore. And the punchline and, and the way that this process works is that we'll take those opportunities and we'll do a comprehensive lit literature review and we'll assess what are the evidence-based care models that have shown impact in addressing those areas. And, and then we will explore those care models and, and begin asking systems, well, which care models have been efficacious in lowering costs and improving quality? What, what is replicable? What have you been able to generate or replicate across geographies or business lines or populations? And invariably, the answer to those questions is they don't tend to be replicable or they're not efficacious. And there's a bunch of reasons for that that might deal with payment or regulation or like. So the last question we ask is again in that box of like what can we do at the provider level? We we go to the market and we say, okay, market with all the capital flowing into you, with all the innovative folks trying to solve problems in this area, what capabilities have you developed? What capabilities have you demonstrated that can actually move the needle in these areas? And then we kind of take it back. We identify those best in class capabilities in the marketplace. We line those up with barriers that can improve the performance of care models that address the opportunities. So in Dallas, we had winnowed down a list of 150 solutions entities that purported to have unique capabilities to about 11. And those 11 spent time with us demonstrating, in some cases in partnership with health systems that they've deployed the capability in, and in some cases they would identify case studies. And uh, our systems left were left with kind of the, the charge to think through how did what they see, how does that match up with their strategic priorities and interests. So we're on the back end of that now after having accomplished that, we're working with our 28 systems to determine where there are actionable opportunities. Did some of the health systems talk about the connection of behavioral health to chronic illness in this population? Yeah, they did. And this is this is an area that I think, um, you know, the science and, and the evidence uh, are, are beginning to identify, continuing to identify really important linkages. I think there's an awareness of the, the correlation between mental health and either patient complexity or disease chronicity. And I think there is a there is a rapidly evolving recognition in the market that that, that a path to redress, that a path to to addressing some of these challenges is through integration of these services. But that, you know, if, if you think about the history of mental health in, in America, we literally have like 170 years of 
treating mental health as its own specialized, independent, carved out thing uh, from the mainstream of healthcare. So I do think there's a unique moment 170 years later where not only we have an evidence-based recognition of the correlation between those things, but some evidence saying if we integrate services in a different way and we integrate the payment you know, as a, as a catalyst for integrating services in a different way, we have a higher probability of achieving different results. Is it true that in some states or in some payment systems, mental health care is still reimbursed at a lower rate than other types of health care? And if so, yeah. is that a problem? Yeah, well, so it's the short answer is yes. It's um, obviously there. There are some technicalities involved with that answer that are important, and, and the the short answer to the the second part of your question is yes, that is a problem. You know, the relative cost of providing a unit of care for mental health services, or the relative cost for providing a unit of care for physical services, like it's hard, it's hard to figure out where those should sit relative to the other um, because th there's obviously the economic considerations of what drives that relative unit of cost so so when, when you know typically when i hear the question do we pay the same amount it's, it's hard to define what parity is now do we are we are we paying relatively the same amount or maybe better asked are we paying a sufficient rate in mental health care services to underwrite the cost of providing a unit of care or for making available the right quantity of units of care, and, and the answer to that is is just no. Um, and, and and that's that's for an abundant uh, an abundance of different reasons. There may be something off about the relative payment parity for services. There may be a supply and demand problem in the market that that artificially constrains what that payment for services uh, might otherwise be there, and, and that sometimes flows through you know the, the workforce. There is the inefficiency we have. And the actual payment, because in you know, 24, 25 states, it is disintegrated from the physical spend for a patient. And, and there's an inefficiency, there's a latent inefficiency that you get from that disintegration. So on whole, the, the payment is not at relative parity, but it's not just a function of what's in the payment schedule. It's a function of a number of different things that, that I think probably start with the, the way we pay for and integrate services, problems we have with supply and demand, particularly in the workforce, um, in the market, and the, the way we define sufficiency and availability for mental health. What are some of the other challenges that these health systems that are participating are facing in terms of caring for these patients? Yeah, you know, I I was going through this experience with our, our system partners last week. I was reminded of the of, of the experience I had last summer when we were out visiting with our initial um, system partners and trying to identify what were the highest areas of priority and interest and, and where would they want to focus. And 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 when we would get to mental health, I, I would just remember uh, I remember vividly the, the number of grievances or 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 the areas of challenge in this area are just immense. So set aside like the the under the underlying human drama. Of mental disorders, um, the system challenges. There is no infrastructure. There is no access point. There are, are not enough trained clinicians. My primary care practices are frustrated and in, in, in serving 
certain types of patients, and uh, and 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 I, I have trouble sometimes changing the culture within my organization to have a mental health focus. The coding is antiquated, payments are antiquated. You know, some of the same things I was referencing a moment ago. And I remember walking out of, out of these meetings just feeling this sense of despondence. Like, this is, we have created such a mess of this area over 170 years that you know, drive solutions. How, you know, how, how are we going to achieve this? And it, it's a big part of how we've tried to frame our own thinking because, you know, many of these, many of the country's mental health challenges are not going to be solved just by a local provider who's adopting a telepsych solution or a cognitive behavioral therapy solution. A lot of this is going to have to run through what we call the, the three horizons, which is the, the first horizon is our, our care providers on the ground that, um, that are with these patients day in and day out. And our second horizon is those entities that control the flow of funds for those delivery services, you know, the MCOs, if you will. And the third horizon is our regulators who uh, determine those rules and, and who may, may be collecting the funds to, to commission to someone else. And, and at the community, let's think through addressing infrastructure, workforce, regulatory restrictions, payment parity, coding, all these areas that, that just show a major gap in our, our, our country's mental health infrastructure will have to go through those three horizons. Our our approach on this though is you know what providers can do an awful lot at, when they're adopting unique solutions and there's there's enough happening in the digital and technology space and when done at scale it has an impact. We also though take the mindset that where possible in markets where where you have a payer and a provider who have a common interest, well where where can they begin to collaborate and jointly resource these these areas. You know, better yet, we, we have um, members that are part of the group where you have the, the local community governments and the state governments involved and, and you expand the solutions even more. So that's a, a little bit of a longer answer to the question. The, the challenges are immense and, and they're broad. And I think the answers really lie uh, at, at a hyper local level. Um, they, they run through those three horizons and we are trying to be at ground zero for catalyzing those opportunities. Do you have any fantastic examples to share of system or a payer or a provider where they are all integrating care? I'm thinking maybe of a patient with diabetes who is too depressed to monitor their medications and their blood sugar and their diet and, you know, they can't exercise, can't get out of bed. You know, is anything happening in that area? Yeah, um, you know, examples abound. For for that very specific uh, use case, I'd have to I'd have to reference it, or consult. It doesn't have with. to be that one. Yeah, it's that's a great use case, by the way. Or heart disease. Uh, or... We we had a we had an opportunity to bring together you know some provider partners and others to to think through examples or opportunities of um, where where care is integrated and and there were certainly a few examples. One example was with Presbyterian in New Mexico. Presbyterian is a of course an integrated delivery system that owns its own plan and through a multi-sectoral partnership and with, uh, within the community and the state we're able to contract with an entity to promote a statewide ADP system that was uh, enormously helpful in creating better linkages and synapses within the care community around how patients were, when patients were hitting uh, higher acuity care settings, uh, when they were on the move and being discharged. And it, and it provided both for the payer or for the medical home 
was responsible for managing a patient and opportunity to engage and manage that patient to, to where they ought to be. That's like on one end of the spectrum. On another end of the spectrum would be um, the things that, that we're seeing with uh, your C Texas, which is an initiative sponsored by Methodist Health Ministries that's examining different care models of integrating be, uh, behavioral health and primary care in the same setting and managing either disease chronicity or complexity uh, in the context of uh, mental health disorders uh, and the like. Um, yet another example on that spectrum would be when we had Christiana Care and uh, I believe Open Beds um, uh, relay the, the, the opportunity that they've had to not only link uh, team-based care opportunities with a better network management system and identifying what other capacity the, the community had, uh, what other infrastructure capacity the community had for mental health services. You know, models abound both in the management um, and models and solutions abound in, in, in the management of these patients. Um, I do think that what we're seeing, and, and something I think we would espouse, is that the beating heart of that, you know, in all cases, does have to run through a set of competencies that allow us to target, uh, screen, and support the, the appropriate navigation for a patient. That navigation uh, ultimately requires the development of a care plan, and, and the best care plan you can develop is one that's multidisciplinary that accounts for the range of biopsychosocial considerations for a patient. So we are seeing a greater prevalence of that, but then that does have to be linked up with the right broader delivery ecosystem um, that can address what that care plan you know, calls to be executed on. And we, we did spend a lot of time in Dallas looking at those areas. In our last podcast, the one that I mentioned at the beginning where we spoke uh, with Dr. Coy, she mentioned social determinants of health not being its own separate silo, but how it's integrated throughout care. I imagine your two-day meeting spent a lot of time discussing that concept and how systems are beginning to weave that into how they deliver care. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah, I would love to. And, and Dr. Coy is exactly right. And it's, it's, it's precisely how we, we see this area. You know, I, I, on the one hand, I am just elated. Like the, the term biopsychosocial, the idea of social determinants, that in and of itself is like a, a, an almost 100-year-old term. I'm elated that, that the, the term, the concept, the idea is getting this, um, this really remarkable amount of energy and focus in our industry. Um, but to your point, it's not some discrete thing that sits outside of the uh, the core of healthcare. I have actually started to, to to refrain from using the term social determinants of health and just calling it what it actually is. It's just barriers to health. There are things that might um, either dilute or or impede an individual's ability to build or maintain health capital. And and as we think about these areas, you know, our the, the project that, that we're executing is not it, it's not so much focused on how are we treating disease or how do we diagnose disease or how do we assemble and organize a care plan. It's thinking about if if we have all of these economic resources um, in the context of American healthcare that represent clinical services, mental health services, and social services, and they all operate autonomous from each other, and yet we know they are all linked and highly correlated to a person's health capital, this becomes a fundamental question of how do we better link those resources and service of a patient with the goal of improving his or her health capital. 
And, you know, that's, I, I think that's the punchline for, for why so much of our industry is, is become so focused on this area and why we think that the promise of what technology allows us to do coupled with the right forms of collaboration and different economic models that tie those silos together and all the actors that represent those silos represent what can be a big jump for, for how we think about, you know, holistic care of a whole person. Something else just popped into my mind, so I would be remiss if I didn't mention it. In your meetings with the health systems, do they talk about the implications if they're working in states where Medicaid work requirements are being put into place? And let's say someone is getting care, but then they're not getting care, and then they're getting care, and then they're not getting care. That cycle hasn't really started yet because it's too early. But how are systems trying to prepare for that possibility? You know, it's 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 a great. It's a really important question. It's not a topic that has been at least a focus in the work we have done thus far, primarily because it sits in this federal policy context, well, federal and state policy context that we we are cognizant of, but but we are not. Yeah, there are certainly a lot of other um, you know, well-qualified, well-equipped groups uh, out pursuing. Um, your solutions in that space. What, what, I, what I will say, um, and it's a bit more abstract, but I think it gets to the core of the point, is that any time where we have uh, instances of a, of a patient whose coverage has changed, whose network has changed, whose benefit structure has changed, it, it obviously represents a moment of disruption for that patient. And I don't know that it matters if it's in the context of Medicaid or it's Medicaid commercial or commercial-backed individual market. The point is, anytime that happens, it's disruptive. And it's not just disruptive to the patient, it's disruptive to the system uh, who might have a, a benefit for caring for that patient. And it's the reason, in my opinion, I'm going to get a little off script here, it's one of the reasons we have so many challenges thinking about that broader biopsychosocial continuum. We think about the world in one-year underwriting cycles. And you know, if we're thinking about churn, it could be even less than that. And when we quantify ROI in one-year underwriting cycles, it only really lets us underwrite for a certain basket of services. That's what we've got really, gotten really, really good at. The more we do at the federal and state level to exacerbate the level of disruption, to exacerbate that degree of churn, the more we do to disincentivize the system to think about that broader biopsychosocial continuum and to focus on prevention instead of just treatment. How will the project measure outcomes given the challenges and the churn and other things that you've described? Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful question and it will it will occur on, on a couple of different bases and we're we're thinking hard about the longer term, you know, measurements for this. So, We've started really by taking a posture that if, if we know there's a collective objective to transform the way we care for patients and communities, and that's kind of the yardstick, well, what are the, what are the, the, that is the sum of its parts. And we think a lot about the parts and we want those parts to represent the, the hyper, the hyper local conditions and, and opportunities I described a bit earlier. And so what we what we are doing with our system partners is becoming really deliberate around what what are the particular challenges you are trying to address, what are the particular 
metrics or or outputs you're trying to achieve where is the gap and as we go through the work that i described a bit earlier and we identify the solutions and those solutions are adopted and implemented we want to be in a position to assess their efficacy and their impact on patients and that those metrics and, and the way that's scored will necessarily be in a local context or in the systems context, but nevertheless, they will be helpful and useful to others who might want to emulate or, or replicate what, what has been done. You know, I, th I think that the broader objective here for us is that patients in vulnerable communities, Medicaid or not, if there are low, if there is lower access to services, if there's a lower degree of integration of those services, if there's lower availability of those services, and if there are higher cost, uh, higher chronicity and complexity and lower outcomes or, or lesser outcomes, then everything we do ought to be uh, in service of that. And so everything we've talked about from integration to thinking through, you know, the, these biopsychosocial determinants, the care model design at the local level, we think those are the, the component parts whose whole uh, begins to have a transformative effect. Maybe the last thing I would say on this, and, and let, me, let me be really clear about this, Tw 28 health systems um, with all their hospitals and, and, and practices, you know, that's, that's a good footprint, and um, and we're we're very we're very proud to be affiliated with this group and and for the, the trust they've placed in us, but that doesn't that won't transform our system at scale in the way in the way we we all would define you know, transformation. It, it will be incredibly important to us that as we learn things, as we learn about successful solutions in markets as we learn about improved models of care and markets, as we see unique collaborations, we want to be manufacturing those insights to FQHCs and safety net institutions or others that aren't directly affiliated with us. We, we believe this can be a really useful laboratory whose instruction and whose learnings can, can be additive and contributory to the nation's um, overall delivery system for vulnerable communities. And that's where we, we hope the apex of transformation could occur over time. If a health system wants to learn more about this, where would they go? No, if they go to the AVIA, A-V-I-A website, there's a link to the Medicaid Transformation Project, and we have materials posted there. Um, we would love to uh, visit with anybody uh, who is interested. We, we have a high recognition of the importance of MCOs and, and others and would relish a chance to visit with, uh, with, with those entities, with providers, with FQHCs. Anybody that feels similarly and, and wants to jump in and be a co-conspirator with us, we um, would be eager to talk to. Well, David, this was really interesting. I'm really glad that you took the time out of your busy day to talk with us. Well, thank you and thanks to your listeners and um, we'll look forward to updating you again. To learn more, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes where we have a link to the Medicaid Transformation Project at aviahealthinnovation.com. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.